of thinking about things. Um, and we had read the, these verses earlier, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with that thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which I would equate with the contentment of God, the peace of God, um, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so that section of scripture back in the earlier sermon really plays a lot to today's topic as, as well as finding commit contentment in Christ because we definitely need to have a change of focus sometimes, focus off of the things of the world that are negative and destructive and, and focus onto things that are positive. And definitely we have things in Christ that are positive. So we'll be talking about some of those today. But let's go ahead and read our scripture for today. So it's gonna be Philippians chapter four, verses 10 through 23. So let's go ahead and stand up for that as we read God's word, if you're able to stand up. And uh, we will read the whole thing. We may not talk about the whole thing, but we will have concluded the book. So Paul starts out after he has talked about not being anxious and, and focusing on that which is honorable and good. He starts out in verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with, you greet, with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for your word and for your preservation of it, that we might have it all of these years and that we can have a word that is accurate and truthful and one that we can trust in and depend on. We thank you for your abundance and how you provide for us. We are content many times and most of the time because you are a God who provides for us in abundance and we have above and beyond all that we need. But we know there are times where we need contentment and need to discover contentment when 
things are not running as smoothly as what we would like, where maybe we're missing some of the uh, niceties of life. And so we are anxious to learn about these times and how we can be content even in those times. So we pray that you would teach us and guide us, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, usually I try to ch pick out a message, a main message, just for you to take home, and the one today is to learn to be content, but there is a key verse that I think is key, and there's, there's several good verses in here, right? Several good verses that we would quote to one another, uh, Philippians 4.13, uh, uh, I have to look at it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But the one I'm thinking of is Philippians 4.19 today that has to do with contentment and God providing all that we need. And that verse says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So this might sound like a blank check to some people, but it's definitely not a blank check, is it? It's not a blank check to win the lottery, a promise to win the lottery, and you're gonna enter the lottery, and because of this verse, you're going to claim this as a verse, and you must win the lottery because this is God's word. No, this is a conditional promise that is given to us, that God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, right? So we're talking about him fulfilling a need that is necessary for us to do our part in the kingdom of God. And in fact, I started out this way, is that God will provide every need of yours in Christ Jesus, but we first have to understand what these needs are. And we are to learn to be content, and we do that, I think, by trusting what God has given to us and what will provide for our needs. We must trust God when it comes down to it, right? That's where our contentment comes from. That's where our peace comes from. In a world such as today where there is so much discontent and so much unrest, we must trust that God is going to provide for our needs. And when we trust him, that peace of God overcomes us. But this verse says that it, he will provide every need of yours and so I wrote down here a little, what I think is a biblical definition of need in this circumstance. A need is that which you require to fulfill your purpose in the kingdom of God. Amen. Does that make sense? You know, it's, it's not talking about uh, every little thing that you want, but it's talking about that which you require to fulfill your purpose in God's kingdom. And so all of us probably have to pay rent and all of us have house payments or all of us need food and housing. Those are legitimate needs, right, for us to carry out what we need to do in God's kingdom. So God is going to provide those. But there are times where Christians have not had the money to pay rent, right? <laughs> so he provides in some other way, right? He provides in some other way for those needs. But... I don't think we'll ever see the people of God going without bread. Is that not a scripture somewhere? I can't, re can't remember. But going without the, the necessities of life. There are other necessities as well, uh, other than uh, the physical ones that I mentioned. There's forgiveness and righteousness and our stature as sons and daughters. Those are, those are things that are required for us to be in the kingdom of God. 
And so we must trust that God will provide for all of those needs. God often, and you can testify to this today if you want to, I'll, I'll even let you do it now, but God often provides bountifully according to his grace, right? He, just, he doesn't just give us what we need, but he gives us an abundance of what we need. That's what is, that's what is said about our, our salvation in essence, is that he lavished his love upon us when he saved us. It's not given stingily, but it's given abundantly and graciously. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 gives us good advice. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. That's kind of a good verse to know about giving to the, to the church or to anyone, right? That if you give out of your wealth to God's kingdom, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. However, there's not really nowhere in the scripture where it says that God will promise to provide all that we selfishly want, right? There's no place that says that we will, he will provide to us all that we selfishly want. And so I used this example a little bit earlier, but he's under no promise or legality or anything to promise that we will win the lottery if we play the lottery, right? In a sense, playing the lottery, I don't know what you feel about it, but it's kind of money thrown away. It's, it's not money that you're probably going to receive back, and it's not money that really does anything for the kingdom of God. I once had someone ask a, a previous pastor uh, if someone did happen to win the lottery that was a member of the church, would you accept their money, their tithe money from that? And he said, well, yes, the devil's had it long enough. We might as well have it now. <laughs> but you know what I mean. <laughs> so he doesn't promise to give us all that we selfishly want. In, in fact, he warns against us praying for things that we sh should not selfishly want. Listen to this in James chapter 4. Uh, James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, listen to this, because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So there is a type of prayer. There is a type of wanting uh, that is wrong, that exceeds what God really wants to give to you for your own good. And I think my dad would put it this way. I, I can't remember too many quotes of my dad, but he said, don't be, he didn't put it this way, but he said, uh, basically, don't be guilty of want-itis. You know what want-itis is? That's wanting everything for no good reason other than you just want it. <laughs> so you go to the store and the kids you know, lined up and you're getting ready to the checkout and there's things that they want or maybe there's something that you want. You really don't need it, and I've been guilty of this as well. You really don't need it, but you just, you just want to get that. And you get it. And that's what want-itis is. And God says, I will, I will provide for your needs, but I will not provide for your want-itis because it's not going to be good for you. 
Matthew 6.33 talks about this. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, our purpose is to seek first the kingdom of God and establishing the kingdom of of God. And if we do that, then he will provide everything that we need in order to accomplish that purpose. And so God will supply our needs, but how does he supply? Does manna fall down from the heaven or quail come down from the heaven? I haven't seen too much of that lately, but in our scripture today, he does use the Philippian church, right? He uses people. That's that's his means of meeting the needs of other people is that he uses the church. We are after all, like the song says, we are God's hands and feet. We are the body. He has left us here to minister to people, to take the gospel to them, but to also meet their physical and emotional needs if we have the ability to do that. We carry out God's will on his behalf, and we see that in the example of the Philippians. So I'm just going to point out a few things that the Philippians did here right in the scripture uh, that show that they were willing to meet Paul's need. Uh, on God's behalf. First of all, the Philippians shared Paul's trouble. Look at verse 14. He says, he says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Don't you wish you had someone to share your troubles with? There's something about just talking with someone else about your troubles that is helpful. And we do that, I think, in this church. We do it through prayer requests. We do it through phone calls to each other. We do it through sending cards to each other. But it's so nice, and I think it was, he, he definitely appreciated it because he said it was kind of them to share my troubles with you. And I think that's an excellent point. A, th- a way that we can definitely meet the needs of people is to share their troubles with them. Sometimes that might be a phone call or a card, sometimes it might be a monetary need, sometimes it might be a a gift of some kind that would help them. Sometimes after a hospital visit, it might be some food taken to them. But be willing, willing to help share other people's troubles. Then once again, the Philippians gave when no one else would give. Look at verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. You see, Paul was much like a missionary that we might meet today. We're familiar with IBS, with the uh, Southern Baptist Convention and the International Mission Board where we send money to them and then they provide the money to our missionaries. But in a lot of churches, it's not that way. In a lot of churches, if you are a missionary, uh, then you go from church to church raising support. And you get a body of believers who believe in you and your mission that you're going to accomplish, and they provide your support. And Paul must have been very much like that when he first started out. It says that the Philippians were the first who were willing to enter into a partnership so that Paul could take the gospel to the Gentiles. And it's only them that would do that. 
So we may have opportunities like that. We need to be looking out for opportunities like that where we will have an opportunity to give to people. And we have done that in the past. You guys, uh, we as a church supported the leeches for several years in that manner. And so be, be thankful that we have a church that does that, but be looking out for other opportunities where either the church or you personally would be able to give and to help someone who's in great need. The Philippians even gave faithfully under changing circumstances. Look at verse 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my daily, for my needs once and again. You ever been giving to something and then something changes? <laughs> you know, I'm, I think a lot of, uh, uh, we support uh, a child to the African vision of hope. And I think of all the people who have come through our Wednesday night Bible study and we've continually been giving to that child. Uh, sometimes things change. And sometimes I, what I think he's admiring about the Thessalonians is that even though his circumstance changed and he moved on to another church, they were still faithful to continue on giving. Because sometimes that doesn't happen, right? Sometimes things change and, and giving actually drops off because things have changed. And that's just part of life. But they were mindful enough and they were aware enough of Paul's ministry that they wanted to continue to, to support him even though he had moved on to this other church. Okay. Another example of how the Philippians gave. The Philippians gift met his need. Look at verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and more. And so their gift met his requirement and even in abundance. He says, I am supplied, well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And so their gift met their need and maybe they knew exactly what his need was going to be. He needed so much money to do what he wanted to do. Or maybe just through prayer, they sensed, we believe that Paul will need this much and it will fulfill his need. Whatever it was, they were in tune with the Holy Spirit and they gave exactly what he needed, plus even some additional to that. And he commends them. You might say, well, how does he commend them? Well, he commends them by saying, this gift was an offering. Not only did you give it to me, but this is an, as though it were an offering to the Lord. And he goes on and says in verse 17, just go up a couple verses. I wanted to not leave this out, but when they give this gift, he says, it's not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So this, this gift they're giving is as though it were an offering to the Lord. They can't expect to reap a reward for their faithfulness to give, is the way I see that. It's a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. It's an offering. And Paul wants them, the fruit that comes from this, wants to be accredited to their account in some way. Does that make sense? Make sense? 
Okay, so God uses loving Christians to meet others' need. And then finally, learn the secret. Learn the secret. Find your contentment in Christ. Look at verses 11 and 12. I love these verses. It says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the secret, right? Christ strengthens me. No matter what the situation is, whether I'm low on funds, whether I'm high on funds and have plenty, then my contentment doesn't come from my position, but it comes from knowing Christ because we are going to be content in heaven, right? We will be content in heaven. That's what Paul is looking for. He's not looking for the contentment that comes from, from material things, but he's looking for the contentment that comes from being with Christ in heaven. Okay. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, in times of low, I am content. In times of abounding, I am content. I just wrote down here that God has purposes in every, every part of our life, right? When we have plenty, it's as though he is testing our allegiance to Christ. Because it's very easy when we have plenty to begin to pull in and trust in those material things. Amen? You know where I'm coming from? Have you ever been there? I've been there. You have plenty. The money's coming in. You're not thinking about God as much. Paul says, I've learned to be content in that situation and to be content in Christ and not trust in my abundance of goods. And when things are low, God uses that for us as well as a test of our humility and a test of our pride. Can we be humble? And Paul says, yes, I've learned to be humble even in those situations. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now in John chapter six, we won't spend a lot of time here, but there's an example of people who are not content in Christ, but they are content in something else. And I've mentioned this before, so you may recognize it, but in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. How he does that, I have no idea how he, how he does that. But he, he's going to teach a lesson. He's going to teach a lesson that we should find our contentment in him and not in food. You see, after he had fed these 5,000 people, he crossed over on the other side of the lake, and here the next morning comes, the whole crowd is coming to find him. And they're coming to find him, why? Because they want the food. He calls them out on this. He calls them out on this. He says, you only came not because you want me, the bread of life, but you're coming because you want the food. He said, and he says, don't you know I have something that is so much better? So in this scripture, I'd like to read this. Jesus said to them, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh 
of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And right at this point, they're like, what's he talking about? <laughs> Is he going a little bit crazy? He says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of my Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So he really goes out there trying to impress them with this illustration by saying, the people during Moses' day wandering in the wilderness, I provided bread from heaven in a sense for them through the manna. They ate the manna, but eventually they died. What I am offering you, I am offering you my very body and my blood sacrificed on the cross so that you might find contentment and everlasting food in me, so to speak. He's saying you can be content in me. It is an everlasting sacrifice given on your behalf. And so we have no need to find contentment in other things, no matter how difficult the situation might get in our life. We find our contentment in Christ. He said, you merely want your stomachs full when I, the bread of life, am offering you an eternal relationship with God. I am the bread of life. Eat with me. I am enough, essentially is what Jesus is saying. I am enough. I am enough. Do you agree Jesus is enough? Because that's the question I'm going to ask you. Is Jesus enough for you? If everything were taken away, our nice pews, our nice building, maybe even our food. I think of the Ukrainian Christians. There are Christians in Ukraine who have had everything taken away from them, maybe put in prison. Would Jesus still be enough? Well, obviously, we would want things to get better. But I like to think that this church and each individual here would say, yes, Jesus is enough. I'm going to stick it out with Jesus. And that's how we are to be content. We ultimately are to be content by doing exactly what the hymn, Be Thou My Vision, has just told us in the song that we, we sang. Jesus must continually be before us as our vision. Let me read these verses to you. It says, Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy present my light. Be thou my wisdom, and thou my true word. I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, and I thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. Riches I heed not, nor vain, empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. 
High King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. How to be content. Realize that God will provide every need of yours in Christ Jesus. Trust that he will do that. Then we need to know that God uses loving, giving Christians to meet our needs. Sometimes we have to drop our pride, right? And say, and allow people to meet our needs. Learn the secret, find your contentment in the person of Jesus Christ. Be satisfied in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we've had. We thank you for your words and we thank you for the opportunity just to look at them and kind of pick them apart and really understand how we can be content in a world that seems to be just the opposite. Always searching for the next fad that will make us feel better or make us happier and it never lasts. But you have given us a contentment that lasts into the eternity. Your very own son, a relationship with him. So we pray that you would help us when we are tempted to run to Jesus and that he would be our vision that will sustain us through the most difficult of times. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.